Welcome to episode 849 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 849 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm really good, Bevan. How about yourself? It was a quick transition from to water to, to Mike. We're professionals. That's what we are. True podcasting professionals. Got the old Epic Camp. Is that 2022? This is this year's one. It's a nice kit this year. We had, yeah, every year's a good year. Come on, Epic Camp. Going to get nice kit. Come to Alp Dwyer's Camp 2024. I was, we were in Queenstown the other day, and uh, we did the walk, you said. Oh, yeah. Caught the boat across. Yeah. And walked back around. And uh, we were walking past, and some girl ran past us, and then she started walking. Mm. Don't know what she was doing. She looked like an athlete, but she was maybe doing post-run this on the day after the race. And she had the Alp Dwyer's triathlon top on. Hmm. Very nice. I thought, what a chance of that. Very slim. Yeah, very slim. You could get one of those t-shirts in 2024. Join okay. us. Jo- yeah, join us. Go to Epic Camp. Dot com. Dot com. Okay, uh, today's show is proudly brought to you by our awesome patrons. We got you go first, John. Barbie Dinky Dynamo Bressole. Bressole is a good name. We got Duncan Danger Penfold. And Thomas is going long. I love your work there, team. If you want to become a patron, just go to the website, support the boys and what we do. Uh, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got an age grouper of the week. We've got an interview. We have. I did this last week with Taryn Richardson. She's a nutritionist or nutritionist slash dietitian um, based over in Australia. We're talking carb loading and some good tips on the impending festive season. We don't <gasps> have a website of the week. Can oh, take okay. that out. Winger of the week. And uh, I actually have a question in there. We're not, I've got something to share at the end from one of our listeners. Uh, okay, let's look at results. We had a couple of races happen over the weekend. We had Ironman Arizona and we also had a Cosmo happen up so what happened in Arizona well so with all these races I didn't really watch the coverage I was out race directing yesterday so I didn't see it but saw a little bit of the post race stuff uh, on the female side of Arizona or on both sides it sounded like a pretty tough day pretty yeah. windy out there um, but some pretty impressive performances so in the females Sarah True had a pretty close battle with Sky Munch um, they were sort of locked together for much of the race by the sounds of it but Sarah True pulled away on the run with a 2.55 uh, against Sky Munch's 3 hours and 30 seconds and Danielle Lewis was third with the fastest run of the day with a very impressive 252.43 that's very impressive yeah so good to see Sarah True back she had DNF in Kona um, I was sort of picking her to be you know somewhere in that sort of fifth and fifth Sarah True was the one who really struggled to qualify the year before wasn't she correct yeah. we, or whenever one, one year I think yeah. it was before before COVID the last she blew one up and COVID. was it Germany was it and she did yeah. when she was leading and was struggling and then tried to race again and then I think she did end up getting there and then yeah bombed Quite out but well. good to see her back you know she is Quite how old would she see her true be I think she's pushing look. 40 to be honest uh, she is 40 I was right um, turned 40 when jeez uh, t- she turned 40 no, uh, a year ago a year ago yeah. so she's about she's to turn 41, to turn 41. Uh, so that's a good performance she's a good athlete she's got a uh, baby on board now um, but good on her Joe oh. Skipper if you're saying it's a windy day on the bike tell you what what about that bike It was. he smashed it with Christian Holgenhard they rode a 4.05.31 uh, I saw either Ben Canute or Matt Hansen or somebody saying I don't know how the hell they rode that fast because it was tough out there Joe Skipper I reckon he's he's an underrated athlete I mean he's won a lot but I still think when you're talking, you know, the real top big guns, you probably don't mention Joe Skipper, and you probably but should. I, but I reckon he is, but he's not quite. 
Mm. You know, like he's not that top four. It's just he's not Yarn. No, he's not um, Blumenfeld. He's not you know Eden. He's kind of, but he's the next one of. Yeah, and and if if he just if he swick it with with a lot of guys, if he could just swim a little bit quicker, he would be because he's the real deal, run. isn't he? he oh, on the bike. bike and the run, yeah, bike and the run. You know, his run was uh, only a two forty five here. But hey, I mean, at the end of the day, he finished fifth in Hawaii, and that's probably a fair representation yeah. of yeah. where he's at. You know, on his on his day, he could maybe sneak onto the podium. What about Matt Hanson's run? Yeah, so. Um, Actually, yeah. So Joe Skipper took it out. He uh, swam fifty twenty eight, rode a four oh five, and then ran a two forty four for a seven forty five fifty nine, and sounded like he was hurting in the last ten k. Oh, really? uh, so he didn't. Have, I mean, he had a good cap. He still had four minutes at the end. But Matt Hansen two thirty five twenty nine, and Ben Canute had a really good debut, or you know, just a really good steady debut. Uh, 47 minutes and a half in the swim, 4.13 and 2.45. Sounded like he found the, the last sort of 10K pretty tough as well, but 7.51.24 on debut. Tell you what, pretty good field in the males, race. You had Skipper, Hanson, Canute. You got Sam Long, who kind of didn't do that well. He came in 10th. Bart Arnott's, who's probably past his prime now, but pretty decent athlete. You know, like it was a pretty good field. Yeah, that uh, swim by Bart Arnott's, it was a shocker. 46, 56 minutes, like he's six minutes behind Joe Skipper. Um, so, but so he's thirty eight now. Yeah, and if we look at his last time, like twenty twenty one, he did a couple of good races. Because he, he won, wrote one year. When yeah, we were there. Yeah, he's won Hamburg. He got second in Hawaii in twenty eighteen. Yeah, he won Challenge right there. Yeah, we were there twenty seventeen. Won Lanzarote that year. He won Bahrain seventy point three. How old is he now? Uh, thirty eight. Thirty eight. So it's kind of still more not of completely past. No, it. definitely not. But we're not. You know, in the last year. He kind of he hasn't had a win since 2021, and that was just some kind of, you know. Oh, he won 70.3 Florida, um, but yeah, if you go back before kind of COVID, like the second in Hawaii, yeah, that was pretty stellar. You wouldn't have picked him. You wouldn't remember that, would you? Oh, I remember he got on the podium. I thought it was third, not second. Yeah, okay. I'm just looking at the fastest run splits of all time because that was a 235 is is, yeah. is getting up there. Just on Torsten's website. Well, while you're doing that, I'll talk that. about Cozumel. So Cozumel, um, and the females, it was a female only, you know, female and male, we had, oh, you might need to be on this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll come back to that later. Um, impressive performance by Fraud's uh, Gritz Loralde. She ran a 254.52. Now, we've seen females run quick before, and that is a very quick run. But when you compare it to the males, she basically ran the same as all the males. Like she ran five minutes quicker than Magnus Ditley, who won the boys' race. What uh, Lisa Norton? And yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, yeah, you know, most of the guys are running in the mid two fifties. You had one exception or a couple of exceptions there. Jan van Berkel ran two fifty. Nobody broke two fifty. So it must have been a reasonably tough day. I know that they got the start got delayed by forty five minutes. Apparently they had uh, torrential rain. I'm not sure what it was like for the rest of the course. But yeah. Yeah, 254, um, she came from, I think I read, 25 minutes down <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, because Lisa Norton basically did a, a 4.32 bike. This girl did a, what's her name? Garitz Loralde. Uh, Garitz did a 4.50, so she's well behind. But then Lisa Norton did a 3.23. Exploded. She had a 15-minute lead coming off the bike. Um, so that's... An explosion. That's not running easy. That's an explosion. That's an explosion. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she still would have got a Kona slot. I'm pretty sure there's a couple of Kona slots there. So well, it's still tick that box. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, only just so Kylie Simpson was in third place, only a minute behind her, and closing very quickly. So. That's an autumn. She got the bronze medal. Was she that good an athlete? 
Like Nisa Nora. And short course. Like because uh, I don't know nothing, you know, me and nothing about short course, but she got a bronze and it was it was photo finish. Like yeah. it was pretty close. Was she, she was she of that caliber in her oh, career? Yeah. yeah. Uh, was, she had a, a bit of a golden period when she got that medal. Um so I think I've probably maybe talked about this on the show before. Yeah, there was like one year where she just crushed okay. it. And I think that was either the year of the Olympics or the year before the Olympics. Okay. Maybe the year after. It was well, it was right around that time where you see this with a number of athletes. So just get in the zone and maybe yep. have a twelve to twenty four month period where they're just crushing it. Someone like uh, Paula Finlay was um was similar to that. She came in and had an amazing period. Others last for obviously a lot longer when you're talking like Brownleys but you sometimes have these athletes have purple patches and then don't do too much else after that because she hasn't so, had a hugely successful long course no, career no she under well she's just obviously not obviously she's, she's she was on Ironman Lake Placid yeah she's won a couple of she's challenge done, races she's done well but she's she's a great runner although she got fifth in Hawaii yeah so it's not terrible but I would have expected her to get, do it yeah. a little bit better, yep. especially on the, the run league. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that was top three. Um, Anne Rushman was in fourth place. So sub nine is the, the new thing for the females. Four athletes uh, going sub nine there. Uh, on the boys' side, similar deal. Jeepers, creepers. She had seven guys go sub eight, and uh, it was a similar story in Arizona. Megan Stitlev took it out. Um, only ran a 2.59, so I don't know if he blew up or if he was uh, just keeping it under control. Um, he had a three-minute victory over Jan van Berkel. So Jan, uh, Magnus came down a little bit out of the, down out of the swim, pushed to the front on the bike, a bit like Joe Skipper rode a 4.04. Next fastest split I can see is a 4.11 by Andy Potts and Rudy von Berg, and they paid the price a little bit on the run. They finished down eighth and ninth place. Uh, so yeah, Magnus Ditlev. He's uh, we, we interviewed him when he was just on the up a little bit, mm. and he is certainly uh, one of the big dogs now. Just needs to get that swim fraction quicker, and it's he will be very hard to beat. How mm. many athletes who you know Sanders, um, Joe Skipper, Ditlev? You know, like if these guys were slightly better swimmers and it's mm. only a couple minutes, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. a massive difference. Oh, so, it you know, yeah. it's such a, such an Achilles heels for athletes are so good. But man, if you've got, if you, if you got that swim, such an advantage. And Magnus Dillev's got age on his side where Joe Skipper and um, Lionel Sanders probably don't. Um, so... Yeah, he's certainly closer than those other those other fellas. Uh, Rudy Von Berg, a little bit disappointing down in eighth place. Andy Potts still chugging along in ninth place. But pretty good racing. We're not quite done for the season. There's still a couple coming up. Um, well, and so let's speak about that right now. We've got Ironman Israel. First time it's ever been happened or ever happening. It is uh, a pretty big field in the men's race. Huge. Hey, we've got over probably about 60, 70 athletes. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty good field as well. You've got uh, Patrick Langer, two-time Ironman World Champion. You've got Sebastian Kienle, who's kind of at the end of his career, but had a great Kona. Uh, Florian Angert. So the Germans are turning up. Yeah. Danny Chevro, Daniel Beckengard, Cam Worth, maybe. He's got an asterisk next to his name. So, yeah, as Bevan said, huge field. Uh, Boris there, Stein. It is $100,000 prize money. It's a Eastern... Middle Eastern Championships. There's three slots for the boys, three slots for the females. Um, oh, someone's calling John. It's a WhatsApp call. WhatsApp call. Uh, Not important. You put, your, put your notification <laughs> in there. Uh, on the female side of things, uh, equally, we have, not an equally, but we've got a really good sized field, probably about 35 odd females that have uh, registered. Sarah Svence is uh, the top seed according to try rating. Um, Jeepers, uh, 
Angeniska Jertz from Poland. Uh, we'll have got that completely wrong. She's seated second. Daniela Blamler, Ruth Astle, Emma Bilan, Susie Cheatham um, amongst it. So should be a pretty good race. Brand new course. For the athletes, you know, because what with I think nowadays we do see pros racing a bit more. Some of the, Like a Joe Skipper, he races a lot, doesn't he, mm. in a year. You know, look at his last 12 months. He's done quite a bit of racing, including the sub-seven. Mm-hmm. So... Someone like Joe, who's now qualified for Kona next year. Oh, I won't affect him. He'll just keep on trucking on, doing his thing. He did Ironman Wales before Kona, you know, um, not that long before, and that's where he got his qualifying spot already. Um, but maybe so maybe it's worth him going, you know what, try a different approach. Mm, could be. Could be. Yeah, because, you know, back in the day, it was kind of qualify early, mm. do two Ironman. Maybe three max. Mm. You know, we are seeing a bit more racing from these longer course athletes, aren't and, we? And he's probably in a position now where he's a little bit more comfortable, where financially. Whereas previously, you, you know, you're not you're going from race to race, and you kind of got a race. Whereas yeah. now he's part of uh, what is it? Challenge? Uh, no, um, uh, the Bahrain team. Oh, he's part of Bahrain. Uh, uh, so now he's part of that, and yeah, Bahrain probably, and, and he's had a number of good races. So you'd think. Yeah, maybe you can hone in a little bit more on Kona. Okay, short course update, John. It's a big weekend. We've got Alex G versus Hayden Wild. What's going to happen? This is going to, well, it's on the males and female side. It's going to be an awesome weekend. So you couldn't have sort of come up with a better. Scripted it better. Scripted it better because it's pretty much winner takes all for the females and the males. And, uh, And it's quite hard to call. Because, yeah, um, Hayden Wild is out of the four that are in the running. Well, there's quite a few people in the running, but realistically, it's probably only four, you know, two on the males, two on the females. Hayden Wild's kind of in box position because he doesn't have to win and he can have one person between him and Alex Yee and he can still take the title. So he's kind of in box position. There is a few permutations where uh, other athletes could, um, could actually take the title if those two bomb out. And we do have to remember that both of them, their last performances were substandard compared to their very high standards. So Alex G got, where did he get, like fourth or fifth or something like that in Bermuda a few weeks ago, and Hayden Wild got, I think it was third at the final Super League race. So both coming off poor performances, well, relatively poor performances. On the female side, though, you've got Although four. with Hayden, do you think he really went for it in that last Super League race? Oh, he did. He, he just said he had a bit of an off day from oh, okay, what so, I saw. Okay, okay, so okay. he didn't look completely... Ruined at the finish, but he was probably running for place at that stage yep. rather than uh, yeah, rather than pushing to the line. So yeah, boys' side it could get interesting because uh, those two are both weaker swimmers, and if the front group gets organised, there's enough good guys in there that they could potentially get enough of a gap. They'll have to get a gap. Uh, the Frenchies, I'm talking like Vincent Louis and Leo Bagier and those guys, if they can re- get a gap out of the swim, um, what we saw in Bermuda is they can stay away if they're well organised. Now that course was a lot harder in Bermuda uh, in Abu Dhabi this weekend. It didn't look to me, and I could be wrong, that they're going around the, the racetrack this time um, because they had the F1 racing there at the weekend. Yeah, of course. Tom was saying to me, he said, they're not going to be packed up in time for this. Um, and yeah, it doesn't look like they're going around the okay. track. But, so it's going to be a flat course. Yes, it'll be corners, but it'll be a little bit harder to stay away. So that's going to be the story. If that if that all comes together, you kind of think it's going to be Alex G versus Hayden Wild on the run, which means it's basically Hayden's championship. You'd you'd think so. You, even Alex G, if you're betting, you'd put money on him to outrun Hayden Wild. Yep. You know, eight times out of ten, maybe. Yep. Um, and so can, yeah. can Hayden get there? 
Or is it just going to be the story of their career? Uh, no, he's probably still got a bit of wriggle room in there. I'd say he's probably got more growth than Alex Yee. Alex Yee's probably been running at a high level longer than Hayden Wilds. So yep. I'd say out of the two, Hayden Wilds probably got more wriggle room. But Alex Yee, his potential got more improvement on the bike and the swim than Hayden Wilds. Well, maybe on the bike. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting race. Very interesting race. When is race. Um, That's a good question. They often race on Friday over there. So it might be, it might be Friday. Friday. often race Friday, Saturday. So I don't actually know which day it is. You have to look that you up. You have got Blumenfeld and Eden there. Oh, you have got the, you got the North, you, This is a cool thing: is most of the World Triathlon Series races, you have really good fields, but not and everyone. You have not quite everyone. Yep. It's probably a bit like a PTO race. You've yep. got almost everybody, and it kind of mixes around a bit. But this one, you'll have everybody there. Uh, on the female side, again, it's a bit of a two-horse shootout. Brown and Duffy. Uh, it's going to be great because Flora Duffy is probably the sentimental favourite because she hasn't been racing as much as Georgia Taylor-Brown. They both pretty much win just about everything they, they enter. They haven't had a showdown since the Commonwealth Games where Flora Duffy won that pretty convincingly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Could what happened with Taylor-Brown in that race? Uh, she got second. She, they, they came off, they broke away on the bike. Yeah. They together was there three, there was three of them I think. Uh, and Flora Duffy just had the better legs on the run. That's right. So what you got to remember is Flora Duffy often makes it really difficult on the bike and that's often why she can outrun people um, because she's so strong on the bike. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to both these battles. Should be awesome. Um, so what your picks are, Duffy and... and I'm going Alex G to win, Hayden Wilde to get second, but then Hayden Wilde wins the title, and I'm picking Flora Duffy to... Was it better than the last champion we had? Definitely. Yeah. This has been a while. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good to have a champion again. So check out Abu Dhabi this weekend. Okay, let's go to the last week's discussion. I'm not sure if I put it that well on Facebook, but we'll see what kind of comments we got. Oh. So basically what I said, if you have to design the hardest race based on completing the Ironman distance, so you can put together any kind of format you want, how would you put your race together? Now let's see what people go up with. I haven't had a chance to read this, but I imagine going to get some cheeky buggers. Uh, Samuel Brown, had 2,000 races on the same course. I'm not sure, quite sure. Okay, yeah, we've got some random ones here. Good old Dave Fisher's just got Ironman distance. This is easy. Yeah. Bike. Bike 2.5 miles. Okay, here we go. This is actually pretty tough. Swim 112. Oh, right. <laughs> but, but it wasn't kind of how I meant the question, but I yeah. do like it. Imagine how long that would take. Yeah. One of our runners, she was a long-distance swimmer. She did a marathon. I think she said it took her about 12 hours. Yeah. How long do you reckon it take you to swim 112 k's? Oh, I don't know if it would be possible. Well, I'm miles, sure so 180 k's. How long have you been? Yeah, I've got absolutely no idea. You'd average. Okay, mountain snail, that's your job, dude. Well, you'd say maybe you could 2, 2k an hour, maybe, yeah. something like that, if you were including breaks and stuff. Take um, a few days. That's yeah, take a while. Craig Brighthouse has got a good one. Easy. It's right on your doorstep, Bevan and John. Reverse coast to coast. Swim up the Avon River. Need to hug the edge of the rivers using yeah. the eddies to get up the river. Could wade if you can't swim. The Avon River is, uh, very, is not deep. Very shallow. <laughs> uh, bike 180 kilometres into the Southern Alps, into Arthur's Pass on tri-bikes to end on the coast to coast mountain run. And then the run would be the mountain run, uh, the and a little extra to get to 42 kilometres. Solid day of uphill racing. No drafting would occur. No need for support stations. Plenty of water everywhere. Prize giving. Scheduled race dates of the final event and prize giving evening at the Hokitika Wild Goo Game Food Festival. Yeah. Hope to see it on your race schedule next year, John. Yep, it yep, is a good idea. Yep. I have thought about a, a How would you do coast, it? You coast to coast. The You'd have to swim at the, the sea and bike. Yeah. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Cool. Nice course, though. Yeah. Okay, we've got Richard uh, Simpson's here. Uh, so he's got the Purge style. Have you seen the Purge movies? 
No. No, I don't, neither. I think the basic concept is there's like 24 hours where you can kill anyone. Right. I think that's the basic concept. Yeah. Um, you sign up without knowing the date. At any point in the year, a stranger will sneak up behind you with a starter's pistol. You have to figure out the route and distance yourself based on where you are at that time. Run home from work, grab your bike, and ride to the beach. There you go. Is something different? It w- that's a, it's actually quite a, I hadn't thought of that. It's quite a cool idea where a, you turn up to a venue but this is what happens. There's this race in New Zealand called the Southern Traverse, and with that, you don't get the course. No, you get the map. Before, the you just basically turn up. You're obviously going to know the area it's going to be in, yep. and so you, and you kind of know the skills you need. Yeah, um, but if you had an Iron Man, if we just said, right, it's going to be an Iron Man in Christchurch. Yeah, turn up, turn up, seven o'clock this morning. Seven o'clock. You get a bike computer which has got all the GPS on it, so you just need to follow the bike. Oh, computer. so you don't even know the courses you're doing it. Yeah, and uh, and. The swim, the swim be the swim, yep. and likewise with the run, you'd get a, a, a computer which would t- a bike computer or some sort of navigational device that would basically tell you the way to go. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? Because mm. knowing's really important. Mm. You know, um, Volkovoit, has got the Himalayan try. Should be plenty close to it already. Do you know that one? Uh, we have talked about it. it's one of those extreme triathlons. Yeah, another one which we talk about, or I talk about quite a bit. Um, the TCM Tri Squad said it doesn't need reinventing. It's been around the French Alps for years. The Embrum Ombrum Man. Yeah, we've got Michael uh, Gold. Gold, oh, good. He's got um, Norseman as well. Brian Bryan. Brian Bryan. Oh, Brian Bryan's got Iron Man a Louisiana brought to you by Popeye's Chicken Taco Bell. Only serve fried chicken and bean burritos at the aid station with bottles preloaded with gravy, gravy for hydration. That's be pretty horrible. Ben Pasada, however you do it, make sure it finishes with the swim. Guaranteed random cramping incidents and significant increased risk of major incidents slash death. You said hard, didn't you? Deadly must be right up there. Well, that's what Terry Pasada says. He said basically do a reverse. Mm-hmm. So run, bike, swim. Uh, Arnold's got look no further than the Evergreen 228. Uh, Frigid Altitude Lake. Uh, 198 kilometres or 6,000 metres of climbing, 42k run with, that ain't a run, 2,500 metres <laughs> of climbing, uh, take longer to wind and an Ironman cutoff, absolutely stunning. So I don't think people really got your point. No, I didn't yeah. get it, yeah. I, I told you to word it well. No, God, no, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> uh so you listen to the show, come on. Yeah, but they, they get on here before they listen to yeah. the show. Uh, so I think a lot of people do say finish with the swim, and you do, the, the cramping is a major, yeah, major I, issue. Yeah, because I know that I'm in cramped in the swim. Yeah. Just before I did the rest of it. So that, is, that does make it difficult. But I, I reckon biking at the end is quite hard if you go uphill, because with the run, you can always walk, and yeah. walking is pretty easy. Yeah, true. Yeah, um, nice. And I... I find swimming, I don't, swimming tired doesn't bother me as long as you don't cramp, yep. and that's a big danger. But biking, if you have some inclines when you're rooted, is really, really, really hard. So I'm thinking some sort of format where you finish with a bit of an uphill bike ride or something like that. So you might do, you know, you might do swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, but then the last stage is like a, a really hard uphill. You've got to get it, get uphill. Because if you divide the distances... You, you would have to be pretty short. If, let's say you tried to do, let's say, six sprints or six triathlons within mm. the Ironman distance. Your swim's going to be about 300 metres, 400 mm. metres. Your, your um, I don't know, probably about 500, whatever, 500, yeah. 600 metres. Uh, your bike's going to be about, what's that, another 30 metres, 30K, and yep. your run's going to be about six, seven K. Mm. Yeah. 
So you could do like three of those and then you're going to do a 20k bike at the end. Yeah, it's going to have a massive uphill component to it. Nice. So obviously with the swim, if you can't do it without a wetsuit, it makes it a little bit challenging. Getting in and out of wetsuit when you're, A, when you're tired, but B, if you've got any moisture, we know that that is just about impossible. I do like the idea of this because I do agree. The one thing about Ironman is you can just walk. Mm. You know, and a lot of people do. Yeah. You know, and so you kind of get to the end and sure you get to the finish and it's still an awesome achievement, but... When the going gets tough, you kind of can just pull off and just mm. get to the finish. Uh, whereas if you had a race where, mate, the only way's up, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you get disqualified if you push your bike, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, like, or if you get off your bike, yeah, you yeah, you know, like something like that, where it's it's like electric electrodes on the bottom of your bike shoes, and if they touch the ground, get electric shock, get electric shock. That's what we're talking about, guys. Next level. <laughs> okay, so you do five short triathlons and a 20k uphill bike ride where you get disqualified if you come off your bike and there a you steep go. step climb. There you go. So Trademark it now. We nailed it right there. Okay, this week's discussion. Now, I didn't actually know this, and I th- I, I don't know it till yesterday either. I actually want to talk about it right now, but at Ironman New Zealand. No, guys, no, not at Ironman New Zealand. Oh, is it not? No, add an, read, read, the, read what oh, I've got. At an iron distance race in New Zealand this weekend, drafting was allowed from 1pm. No, drafting is allowed. Oh, so what's the race? It's, it's um, Iron Māori. It's not, it's not actually this weekend. I'll change that wording. It's an iron distance race coming uh, up. Oh, okay, I feel a bit different about this now then. Okay, so it's an iron distance race wrong. coming up and it's called uh, Iron Māori and this is our participation-based yeah, event. great event. Great uh, event. They do an amazing job. And, and you think like people who are massively obese, they get people into it. It's amazing. It's been going for years. It gets so many people into movement. Um, mm. Highly, highly, it's an awesome event. So for this event... So they're doing the first iron distance race in a couple of weeks' time. It's not this. Has they done iron before? No, they've done. They do lots of half ironmans, yep. and within that, they have lots of different distances. Yeah. And you do teams, you can split them up, and yeah. yeah. So they just—it's about getting people active. It's not competitive. Yeah. Uh, although there are, I know some competitive people are going this year. This is their first iron distance race, um, and yeah, for, it starts at six thirty in the morning, and then from one o'clock, apparently, this is what I got told, yep. is uh, from that time on, you're allowed to draft on the bike if you want to. And so you've got to think that the people that are out there at that stage, they're going to be five and a half hours, five and a half? Yeah, f- uh, six, uh, six, six, six and a half, five, five and a half hours 30, in, 30. five and a half hours in, so six you, and a half, six and a half. So you take, um, you take an hour for the swim and whatever for the bike. And if you, you know, that's, that's still a reasonable pace, yeah. but that's towards the end of the bike. Most people, are, a lot of people are going to be off the bike and six and a half to seven hours, you know, the bulk of the field. Um, and for people that are still out there, they're going to let them draft. We're not going to give our opinions on it now. We'll do that next week. Well, I really want to give it now. No, tough titties. Uh, tough titties, mate. Yeah. Good old tough titties. Yeah. Imagine if you had tough titties. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that guy's got some tough titties. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do a tough titties call yesterday on a little boy. <laughs> I was organising the, uh, organising the, or helping organise the Canterbury Primary Schools Triathlon yep. yesterday. Yep. And the kids go in in groups of like sort of 10 to, to 20 in the swim and they, so it's wave starts. And where they start the swim, there's no toilets. The transition's like 200 metres away. Yep. And they're literally about to go into the water. And a kid goes to me, oh, can I go to the toilet now? And I said, no, you're starting in like 30 seconds. Yeah. So you just go in the water. He goes, I need to do poos though. Tough titties. <laughs> do it when you get to transition. <laughs> I get it when we, we do a handicap race for our race members in winter. We do the epic. We do the epic race. We do we do a run where they do a they basically run up from the bottom of Hackthorn, which is uh, yeah yeah to the cup cup. That's about it's about a one and a half k climb at about 
9 to 12%. Run back down Dyer's Pass, kind of mm-hmm. past the church, mm-hmm. halfway down to the bottom of Dyer's Pass. Yeah. Turn around, go back to the cup, go back down. Yep. So, so you've got two, two big, two one, one mile climbs roughly. Um, pretty challenging, and it's a race. The first time mm-hmm. they do it, we take the time, second time to do a handicap. The amount of people trying to negotiate the handicap. Mm. Tough titties. Yeah, tough titties. Don't even, don't even come up to me and negotiate. Yeah. You know, him. You can't give Oh, a... but you know, I've got a big day at work. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's that time of the month. I don't <laughs> give a shit. Oh. Okay, this week's quiz John's mm, quiz, quiz question. question. Okay, what is it? How many UK males have made the podium in Kona? In the history of, of Kona. Yeah. Oh, no, modern history. I mean, I don't think in the early years it was mostly Americans, so... We're talking pretty modern history. You know, we're talking okay, well, maybe... And podium's midnight. what? Yeah, but that's a good question. Podium is the top three. Uh, no, it's top five. Well, Bull they, crap. They, 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 hey, they met the rules. Dribble of the week. week. Okay, who sent this through? This is from Pat the Divided One Walkington. He's got... I only bumped into Ben Goodfellow a couple of times before and after races, but what a nice guy he is. Always willing to chat with people and never gets the recognition that he deserves for his hard work. In 2020, when the PTO put up the prize money for the pros at the Halloween Triathlon, Ben was right in the mix with the pros finishing fifth overall and winning the age group race. But there was no hype about this, his win, as all the media attention was focused on the pro race. Ben did go on to win the race outright in 2021, though, and got the recognition he deserved. This year, Ben was overall, the overall winner at the Staffordshire 70.3, fourth overall place at Ironman UK and at 70.3 championships in St. George, finished first in his age group and 40th overall. There are plenty of other races Ben has won, so that pro license must be on the cards. He had a great video before he did the Halvallon try in 2020. I'm not sure how anyone can stay so calm minutes before the race. So basically, Pat's just saying, Ben is a rock star athlete who just delivers and a choice guy. And he, he did this clip before the Halvallon race. It's a really hilly, um, it's sort of a funny distance. It's like roughly half Ironman. Um, but there's a climb on there that they talk about called the Struggle Okay. It's just a classic name. And I think uh, you Brit, Brits can tell me if I'm wrong. I think that's the official name. Like, I don't think it's a nickname. We've got climbs in Christchurch, one yeah, called the Bastard, the Bastard and yep. stuff. But I think that's called Cooper's Knob. Uh, it's called uh, The Struggle. And that's it actually like, the name of That's cool. It's a great race. Uh, so, being a good fellow, he's, he's, he's got a little Wix website that's uh, well out of date, but he's <laughs> actually from uh, Wrexham. And I've been I've just finished watching uh, oh, Welcome to Wrexham. Yes, yeah, definitely. It's worth a watch. He's with the Wrexham Triathlon Club. And what I can't figure out about Wrexham, Brits, let me know. It's spelt differently in different places. I imagine one of them must be the Welsh spelling and one's the um, English spelling because when he's got, he's living in Wrexham, W-R-E-X-H-A-M, but then he's part of the Wrexham Tri-Club, which is W-R-E-C-S-A-M. So I figure that must be Welsh and English. But anyway, um, he just looks like that classic, understated Brit, nice guy. I think he's about mid-20s. Whether or not he races pro or just keeps dominating um, the age group ranks, you know, it's one of those things. If you if you're not a pro, and you do, what would you race? Sure, you can go and race pro, but if you're not, you're gonna get your ass whooped half time. Well, Although he's done really well. Yeah, um, it's the thing of you know, like you can't turn up some races and still make some money. Yeah, but you made some money. Yeah, true. Um, and you could you you didn't need to race pro. No, so one of those things. Just because people are winning and they're not pros, oh, why do you race pro? Like, well, I'm not a pro. Yeah. So, 
There you go. But that awesome performance is there by Ben Goodfellow. So you, you are, are Age Group of the Week. Okay, John, you did an interview last week. Who are we talking to? We are talking to Taryn Richardson. Here she comes. <laughs> Righty-ho, team. Uh, we're going to talk a bit of nutrition today. We've got Taryn Richardson on. Uh, it's always good to, to chat to dietitians and nutritionists who have actually been in the game and done a bit of triathlon, of which Taryn has done. She's also worked with uh, elite athletes at Triathlon Australia. She's got a Bachelor of Health Sciences in uh, Nutrition and Dietetics. She's got an IOC Diploma in Sports Nutrition. She's got her own podcast, Triathlon Nutrition Academy. Um, talk a bit about that later on. And also, though, and uh, she's also got a level one ski instructor, which for an Australian <laughs> is, uh, 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 there's not a lot of ski fields in Australia. So I think you're a bit of an outlier there. What what, what have you got a, a ski instructor license for, Taryn? Uh, I spent many seasons in Big White in Canada. So oh, that is nice. how I got my level one. What's uh, Is Threadbow about the only ski field in Australia? And do they get much snow these days? Oh, there's a few ski fields. Uh, I didn't learn to ski as an adult. Until I was an adult, though, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a few there's a few ski hills here. There's definitely like it's not worth skiing here, to be honest. Once you've yeah. experienced New Zealand or you know North America, then skiing here is not particularly nice. Yeah, ah, oh, it's all good. Um, okay, tell us a little bit about your your sort of triathlon background. I know you like to to ride your bike, but you've also done a bit of tri. So, um, what what's your sort of background in tri? Yeah, I've been doing triathlon for about 10 years. I'm on a bit of a hiatus at the moment, though. I called myself a retired age group triathlete because yeah. I accidentally had two babies in two years. So this body's <sighs> not kind of up to triathlon just yet. Yeah. Uh, they're only little still. They're two and three. So running is not really a thing just yet. But yeah. yeah, absolutely love the sport. I grew up swimming. I've swum my entire life and I've been cycling since before I could walk as well. My dad used to... Yeah ride and race penny farthings and make bikes and stuff like that so cool. it's been a yeah I love the sport it's been a while since I've raced so I definitely would consider myself retired at this point or taking a bit of a, a back seat yeah tell us just a little bit about your business um we'll talk a bit, a bit more about later on but um just sort of give us give us an overview of your, your nutritional background yeah, I've been a dietitian for oh, maybe more than 13 years now I'm starting to lose track and my primary focus is helping endurance athletes understand how to eat properly for the sport and working for triathlon Australia for six years I've kind of over time just worked deeper and deeper with exclusively triathletes these days so I do that now primarily through the triathlon nutrition academy program which is an online program where I walk you through everything you need to know about triathlon nutrition and there's a lot we actually do that over three phases which yeah. takes about nine months to just yeah. lay some solid foundations with what you're doing to support triathlon training awesome okay um look one of the, the main topic we're going to look into today is is carb loading um and i think pretty much all triathletes are going to be familiar with the term but they might not know necessarily the nitty-gritty you know if you if you've done a big race you may have been to a pasta party and gone ballistic there um, but not necessarily known how to necessarily structure it in a good way so I guess the, you know as I said people know what carb loading is in a, a real generic term but if you were to have a client sort of come along to you and you're trying to I don't know frame what carb carb loading is how do you sort of explain the the basics of the the sort of what is it 
Carb loading is definitely not eating a massive pasta meal the night before your race. That just (laughs) doesn't come anywhere close to what we need to effectively carb load. I guess the goal of carbohydrate loading is to fill up our fuel tank. We have this fuel tank in our muscles called glycogen, and glycogen is our storage form of carbohydrate. It's kind of like the petrol or the fuel that you put into your car. The fuller your fuel tank, the further you can go. So if we what's called super compensate, like fill up our glycogen fuel tank as full as it goes. And then we carbohydrate load strategically. We can shove a bit extra in there so that our point of fatigue, that point where we're running out of fuel, where we might sort of bonk or hit the wall, that's extended as far away as it possibly can be. So the idea of carb loading is that we do increase our carbohydrate intake beyond what is probably normal day-to-day eating for an age grouper. For the elites, they kind of carb load on a day-to-day basis, so it's not too different for them, but we're trying to increase our carbohydrate to fill up our fuel tank so that we aren't like fatiguing really early on in a in a training session or a race. Mm. Um, how, when, when you say you, obviously you can load up with carbs, you know, how big a difference can this make? You know, I don't know if there's any papers or anything where they've done uh, done research on people doing, you know, minimal carbs versus those that have gone carb loading. But how how big a difference can, can it make? You know, both in I guess racing and in training. It probably improves performance by around one to three percent. That's the number that we see in the literature. And the more competitive you are, the more important it becomes. So we want to think about doing this as more than just a one percenter. You know how we put things into place in racing that are little one percenters that may kind of push the needle. Carb loading is one of the bread and butter foundational things that you're going to need to do as an endurance athlete for training and racing because it does improve performance by a fair bit, but it's also going to make your event so much nicer and more fun because you're not like slogging your guts out in the back and dragging your ass to the finish line yeah no no that feeling um (laughs) we've all been there oh yeah so um you know we we talked briefly just before about you know people go to pass the party and that might be on thursday and the races on saturday and people just go ballistic and uh and pick themselves out and feel a bit lousy um the next day sometimes um in terms of when to start carb loading, we'll go into actually how to do it, but when people should be you know, practicing this in their training and then obviously leading into races, you know, when when should you generally start the, the, the sort of loading process? It depends. And my answer for a lot of things with nutrition is it depends. Uh, yeah. I actually need to print it on a T-shirt, yeah. but it depends on what event you're doing. So for a sprint distance triathlon, you don't need to carbohydrate load. It's going to be over in an hour, an hour and a half, and you can get through that race on just your normal glycogen stores as long as you're eating carbohydrate. When you're stepping up to longer course, so our standard distance, 70.3 and full distance triathlon, we definitely need to look at carbohydrate loading there. And how long you carb load for will just depend on that race. So a little bit shorter for a standard distance, heading into a bit longer for those longer course events. But anywhere between sort of a day to two days is is all you need, as long as you're doing a really good job of carbohydrate loading, because there's definitely some big mistakes that you can make when it comes to that and making sure you're hitting your targets. But it is a little bit individual. It's something I dive really deeply into inside the triathlon nutrition academy program because i don't 
believe in this one size fits all with Mm. nutrition. Everyone needs something that's really kind of dialed in and customized to them. Like, yes, there's some like literature and guidelines around how much and when and all those sorts of things. But I like to know a little bit more information about somebody before I guide them with specifically what that carbohydrate loading plan looks like. So short answer, like one to two days, but it would depend on the athlete, how competitive you are, what your tolerance is for carb loading as well. It's definitely something that you have to practice. And that's where a lot of triathletes fail is that they try and just carb load for the first time the day before race and then suck and then don't feel those benefits and think it was a complete waste or it was too hard. And it's just that they don't really understand how to do it properly. Yeah. Okay. And I know the rest of your answers to most of my questions might be, it, d- it depends, um, which I to- <laughs> totally get. Um, but but how do you actually go about doing it? You know, so um, I know everyone's diet is going to be slightly different. You know, you might have those in the, the low carb, high fat sort of, or along those lines, you might have somebody who's got a slightly more vegetarian diet than those that have got maybe what we would I guess, term a bit more classical diet, you know, they have a bit of meat, they have some vegetables and they still have a reasonable amount of carbohydrate in their their sort of meals. Um, so I know it's going to differ for all those different people in different camps, but um, how do you, we, we, how do you actually go about starting this um, and figuring out, okay, quantities and, and how much should I change my regular diet? Yeah, it depends. You're right. So it depends what your <laughs> baseline depend. is to start with. You know, are you a carb field athlete or not? That's really going to change or manipulate what you're doing. If you're a fat adapted athlete, then carb loading is really going to suck. Uh, yeah. and, and I'd probably guide you against doing that without some professional advice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's about hitting some targets for our carbohydrate, which I'm not going to tell you because it depends. Yeah. And making sure you can do that in a way that's easy and not difficult because eating a lot of carbohydrate is actually really hard. You might think that you want to eat a whole bag of lollies or you can go to town and have a whole thing of garlic bread, but when it actually comes down to it, it's a real struggle. So Mm. we want to increase our carbohydrate within a certain range and it depends on whether you're male or female what the distance of the event is and like how good you are at actually eating. And then we want to practice that in training to build that up over time as well. Mm. We want to make sure that the carbohydrate foods, when we increase them, are low fiber carbohydrates. So we don't want to increase our carbohydrate foods and increase our fiber intake in the same, in at the same time. That's not going to end well on race day either. Give, so us, some examples, sure. give us some examples there of, of things, maybe the types of foods people might want to avoid and the, the good types of foods. Yeah, great question. So usually not my dietitian approved advice on a day-to-day basis, but carb loading is different, right? We're eating carbohydrate to be much more strategic around our racing. So thinking low fiber options like some white rice or some pasta, maybe some white bread instead of my usual, you should probably have more wholemeal, whole grain varieties, but we want that carbohydrate without the fiber slowing down our digestion. If you're a lolly lover or candy lover and you try and kind of limit that in a day-to-day diet, then maybe putting some into your carbohydrate loading plan can make that more fun and enjoyable for you. And you still get to eat one of your favorite foods, but it's being strategic around doing that. You want to avoid things like uh, lots of fruits and vegetables. 
that are like much more higher in fiber. So definitely not dietitian approved, but we want to keep our fiber intake low for the couple of days heading into a race and avoiding more wholemeal, whole grain, really like dense fibrous type cereals as well. So you wouldn't have something like wheat bix. You'd go something that, again, it's not my usual advice, but maybe something like rice bubbles or cornflakes or something like that. A high carbohydrate, low fiber breakfast cereal. Nice. Awesome. Some people will be loving that. I I'm, not, I'm like that. I love my brown bread and stuff, but occasionally I love a bit of white bread. Um, so that's all good. What what are, what are some of the warnings you want to give to people? Because um, as you said, you know, there's lots of disaster stories of people going and and going to a pasta party and and feeling like rubbish the next day, and they haven't practiced some training. And that's the same with everything we say. Don't don't try anything new on race day. But what are some of the um, side effects some people might need to be ready for? Um, you know, some people. They may feel like they get, you know, puffy and a little bit, um, yeah, just a little bit heavy on it. Their hydration might change a little bit. So what are, what are some of the, the sort of warning things you want to put out there that, that people need to be mindful of? That's definitely the golden rule of racing, right? Never try anything new on race day. Unless it's like a C or a D race, then go for it. But mm. if it's an important race, all of these strategies, particularly carb loading, is something you want to practice in training. And you want to practice it, I tell my athletes in the academy to practice it at least twice because it is hard, particularly the first time and particularly if you don't have a very high carbohydrate diet on a day-to-day basis. It's it's probably a fairly high step up to super compensate our muscle glycogen with a carb load. So definitely practice. That's like the key thing because it does get easier over time. As you eat more carbohydrate, your body builds the ability to deal with it. You increase your enzymes and carbohydrate pumps or channels that help that carbohydrate get from the stomach and the small intestine into the bloodstream where we can use it and then store it. So putting that stimulus in is what helps us to become more effective and efficient and get used to carb loading too. So definitely practicing as many times as you can for the types of trainings that it will benefit and at least twice, but the more the better and knowing that over time it'll get easier and you'll also kind of fine tune your plan as well. One of the academy athletes, Jason, did his carb loading plan for the first time and he thought he'd eat this whole bag of like those, you know, those pea snap chip type things that kind of seem healthy they're really not healthy, but they are a heap of carbohydrates. So he's like, oh, if I have this whole bag, then it equals this much carbohydrate. So that's like easy. That did, definitely didn't end well. <sighs> and thankfully, he practiced that in training so that he knows that in a racing situation, eating a whole bag of those pea snap things is definitely not <laughs> what you want to do. Yeah. So it's understanding what feels good for you as well. Like I I definitely hear a lot of people report that they wake up heavy on pasta. Mm. And if that's you and you've done carb loading before and you're like, this doesn't work for me, I don't feel good, then maybe try having rice the night before or before you go to bed rather than pasta. Now, that's not an evidence-based recommendation. That's definitely a practical one of doing this for many years. But if you feel heavy, then change the types of things that you have. So go for white rice and see if that feels any better. So definitely practice and then making sure that your fiber intake is no higher than 30 grams a day. Now, a lot of people don't get that on a day-to-day basis, but we want to make sure that if we're increasing our 
if we're increasing our carbohydrate intake, we're not increasing fiber alongside that. So making sure fiber is less than 30 grams a day or kind of no more than that if you can manage it. If you have a really high fiber diet on a day-to-day basis, then that is probably not going to be too much of a, tr- a struggle for you. Because if you if you do that, if you suddenly increase your carbohydrate, increase your fiber beyond what is normal for you, your guts don't know how to deal with that really quickly. And generally that means, you know, a few more toilet stops, uh, mm. feeling bloated and not feeling good and energized that you can feel if you get your carb load right. So they're two big ones. Watch your fiber and make sure you practice. And then it's just thinking more strategically about what you're doing. Like, can you hit your targets? And then can we get better at doing that over time? And can we even maybe build that up for the longer distance events? So it really just depends on you and your history and what your day-to-day diet is. And then being strategic around doing that slowly because triathletes want to win, right? We're so competitive. So we want to win at carb loading, but (laughs) you'll have so much more success if you kind of slowly chip away at that rather than go full hog and jump in the deep end and try and hit the maximum targets on the first go. Main thing, guys, have have a plan. You know, I think we will be talking about this and you go, I might try a bit of carb loading, but have a plan. It's no different to having a race plan that a lot of people won't have, but it's like, have a plan practice it at your, your smaller events or in training and then see how see how close you're able to actually get to your plan and then modify as, as you go um i've got to say i'm salivating here you mentioned garlic bread before and uh, uh <laughs> i love garlic bread i don't have it very often but uh now i've got a good excuse to have it um could be a good addition to your carb load it's very low in fiber very high in carbohydrate and it's a good savory option too oh i love it Love it. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you, 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 I know there will be a lot of the people in the low carb, high fat um, sort of camp um, that'll be listening into this. So you said before for them, they'd need to tread pretty carefully if they wanted to go down this path and it might not necessarily be the best thing for them. Yeah. So if you are a low carb, high fat, like fat adapted athlete, then you have upregulated or trained all of your fat burning pathways. And so if you've done that, you've downregulated all of your carbohydrate burning pathways. And so if you suddenly go and increase the amount of carbohydrate you have in your diet, your body doesn't know how to deal with it. All of the enzymes to digest it are very low because you haven't put that stimulus in. And the body's not very good at actually getting that carbohydrate from the gut into the bloodstream and storing it as well. So all of those processes of carbohydrate burning are very downregulated. And the fat ones are much more heightened and and way more efficient. So I probably wouldn't suggest doing that unless you had some really specific advice from a professional. Because if you're fat adapted, then why would you want to carb load? You kind Mm. of you can't have like the best of both worlds. You've got to pick a lane. (laughs) Yeah, nice, awesome. Right, so for Kiwis, for Aussies, South Africans, sort of Southern Hemisphere athletes, we're sort of rolling into the our sort of summer festive season. A lot of athletes are going to be training hardcore. You know, some will be off doing Ironman Western Australia. We've got Ironman New Zealand coming up in both uh, December and in March. There'll be lots of other racing for the guys in the Northern Hemisphere. They're going to be uh, in the off-season. A lot of them will be um, maybe focusing on single discipline and, and, and chilling out a little bit. But nonetheless, all of us are heading into the festive season and um, it's sometimes a time of the year where things can um, 
expand in areas you don't necessarily want them to and uh and we can get de- de- <laughs> derailed a little bit um so yeah just looking for some festive season advice you know obviously people are weird you know don't go ballistic and don't don't go too crazy on the alcohol but you know have you got any sort of um specific tips you know from from your experience on on how people can sort of modulate their behavior a little bit to to try to minimize the you know the big impact of um christmas eating yeah, it's a big one, isn't it? I actually created an entire festive season survival guide to help oh, nice. people through this type of year. So I can give you the link for that if you want. It's dietitianapproved.com forward slash festive. It's a big 68-page PDF that goes through a lot of my (laughs) goes through a lot of my tips and advice for how to manage the silly season. But from a more balanced perspective, it's also got a massive index of 32 recipes to help if you've got to do some catering and cooking over this uh, time of year as well. So things like Christmas Santa hats and my dietitian approved platter and loads of stuff. So that's a link for that if uh, if you want to grab it. I'll go through some tips with you now, but yeah, it is a bit of a beast. And I guess I'm the type of dietitian that's not going to tell you that you have to go and eat carrot sticks instead of the pavlova or the cake. Uh, Do you have pavlova over there? You you guys sold bloody pavlova on a, off us Kiwis. Yeah, <laughs> did we? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a Kiwi classic. Ah, oh, so good. So I guess I'm all about balance. And it's just understanding that going in as well. Like, yes, the silly season has been termed that for a reason, but we don't have to let it call the shots really. So it's just having a bit of a plan. Don't have to write it down, but just mentally thinking through what do you actually want to turn up to December, like from December, how do you want to turn up to the 1st of January or the 2nd of January? Do you want to have gained a couple of kilos and feel absolutely rubbish and have basically spent the break carb loading? Mm. Or do you actually want to come into the new year feeling like you've kind of got control of it and a handle on it? So I guess the first thing is to have a bit of a plan. And it doesn't have to be really structured. It doesn't have to be something that you've like physically written out, but just have a plan around what you want to achieve so that we're not letting it call the shots and giving up. That's another big one is people like, oh, who cares? I'll just like train this out come January. And then we're at this huge risk of underfueling in January and not actually doing what we need to be doing, particularly if you've got a key race coming up in March. So it's just having a bit of a plan of attack around what that looks like, but I'm certainly not going to say you have to, you know, cut out alcohol or you have to not eat the pavlova because it's delicious. Mm. And this time is a time where you want to have, you know, have those things, enjoy them with family. And a big one is eating mindfully. So if you have a plan and then when you choose to eat the pavlova or the rum balls or whatever it is, you are actually focused on eating that and that occasion of eating because we eat for pleasure. I don't know about you, but I love mm. food oh, <laughs> and yeah. I, I love eating. And not a lot of people just want to take a magic pill for all of their nutrition. A lot of us do love the whole process of eating. So let's actually stop for a second and enjoy that thing that's in front of us to get all of those pleasure centers and happy hormones being released when you do eat it. So that means getting putting your phone away turning your computer screen off not eating mindlessly like a whole bag of maltesers while you're watching tv like turn the screens off turn the distractions off and sit down and eat a plate of food or whatever it is that you want and be fully connected and if you do that 
you will have all of those happy hormones released in such a bigger way to actually get that pleasure out of the food, which is why you ate it in the first place. Mm. I totally agree. That's something you guys will have heard on the podcast over, you know, last few months is is that mindfulness around eating it's something try, i'm trying to instill in my children but it's uh it's challenging um to put it mildly but yeah just just enjoying the flavors is uh that's what it's all about and and i totally agree with you i find that you enjoy your meal more and you're less inclined to just keep going back for seconds thirds fourths um it just you feel more satiated and uh yeah totally agree with that point yeah, if you recognize that you're eating it in the first place, then you're more likely to tune into those natural I'm full mm. cues that your body sends you, you just don't listen to. Excellent. Okay. Um, any other little tidbits for, for the festive season? Um, yeah, being being mindful, having a little bit of a plan, um, reading your obviously your your document. Um, any other sort of general tips there? Yeah, another really good one is don't hit a party starving. Have you ever been that person that <laughs> is chasing down the little entree or hors d'oeuvres because you're so ravenous? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't end well either, right? So a good tip is to make sure you don't turn up to something like that absolutely in a hole. So maybe don't do a six-hour ride and then go straight to a party. You want to actually, well, firstly, do yeah. a good job of your recovery nutrition, but make sure you're turning up in a state that you're in control. Like if you want to be in control, be in control. So maybe you want to have a little snack before you go. It could be some yogurt. It could be a handful of nuts. It could be an apple. Hey, it could be some carrots, like something that you have to chew on, even if it's on the way to make sure that your tummy is not just growling at you and you're that weird person just chasing down the entree platter. <laughs> I'm putting my hand up for that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally know what you're saying there. And same, same as thirsty. Like I see my husband scull his first beer always because he's thirsty and I'm like, dude, <laughs> the poor guy is married to a dietitian. But, you know, have a glass of water as your first drink just to quench any thirst and then you're drinking your alcohol mindfully as well and also doing a better job of your hydration but i'm not saying you have to be sober i'm not going to be the dietitian that tells you you can't drink because you know I'm, I'm not that type of dietitian but just be in control have a plan and make sure you're not starving and you're not really thirsty as you head to those festive season activities awesome nice so guys um hopefully you've enjoyed that you know some good insight there into carb loading if you do want to take it a little bit further um you can go and check out taryn's details we'll get those in a moment and uh yeah i'll certainly be in that camp of trying to refrain a little bit in the festive season i'm lucky that i'll be uh going to do everesting two days after christmas so i will be oh, nice i'll be carb loading for that essentially which will be good uh, so taryn if people <laughs> want to find out a bit more about you or, or any of the stuff we've talked about um give us a plug on on where they can do that yeah, the best place is probably the website, dietitianapproved.com. And if you want to check out the Triathlon Nutrition Academy program, you can do that from the homepage or go to dietitianapproved.com forward slash academy. You can also listen to my voice more if you know you're loving the Aussie accent on the yeah. Triathlon Nutrition Academy podcast. And you can find me on Instagram at dietitian.approved. Awesome. Love your work. Thanks for your time, Taryn. No worries. Thanks for having me. Jombo, your thoughts? Yep, some good stuff in there. So you guys want to go out and practice your carb loading. As Taryn said, um, what's her answer? It depends is a, for a good answer for a lot of uh, what do you mean, the topics. So, you know, 
should everybody try, try carb loading? It depends. You kind yeah. of got to go and figure it out for yourself. It's much like training. Some um, this is funny. I did an interview for um, stuff yesterday, and they give you questions and they just want a general answer, but it works for everyone. And it's kind yeah. of like, well, yeah, it depends. Yeah, it does. So. Um, Carb loading works for a lot of people. Uh, I think a lot of people don't do it in a structured fashion. So hopefully those comments you got there from Taryn can can help. So you've actually got a plan because we often talk about race plans. You don't have a race plan. You need to have a little bit of a nutrition plan um, before you're going into a race and, and have a strategy and have some rationale as to why you're and having certain it. things and practice it. So yeah. I know for a lot of you Northern Hemisphere athletes, it's not really going to be applicable at the moment. You, know, you may have marathons and stuff coming up, but for Southern Hemisphere athletes, you know, if you've got a, you know, a race coming up, whatever distance it might be, give it a practice. If you've got a peak performance later in the season, um, then you can sort of just hone it in for that. But really good and also some great tips there for festive eating and I fell into a lot of the categories that Taryn was talking about, like going, not going to parties hungry. If you go to party hungry, you just sort of you that that dick who's just sitting there <laughs> eating all the food, and that's uh, <laughs> that dick. Yeah. Are you that dick? I am. Put my hand straight <laughs> up. By, the dick by the food, <laughs> <laughs> just hovering. So there you well, go. Well, I, I also think there's a responsibility of hosts. Because I think we just set up bad environments. <laughs> right. You know, like when we get our friends around here, God, we put some food on and everyone mm. brings shitloads of food and it's just all on the bench and so you stand around the bench and it's just, mm. we're all, majority of us are hopeless in that situation. Mm. Maybe it's actually better to just go, you know what, bring out food just at a certain moment. Yeah. You know, give people a plate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's your food for the night. Yeah. <laughs> Rations. Yeah, like... Uh, <laughs> You know, because we all go home going, I shouldn't have eaten so much. But then you start trading. Can I have that sausage roll? I'll give you, I'll give you one sausage roll for, <laughs> yes, for two cream donuts or something like that. It gets to keep people social. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll tell you what. Okay, let's go winger of the week. week. I'm going to go number 20, and I've already found him up. Uh, yep. Matt Rolleston. Good. He's swum, bike, and run. You tick the box, uh, Matt. Yeah, he did. T- t- he did yep. He's um, 17 hours and 52 minutes. His biggest week ever last week. Nice, 17 hours, 52 minutes, did nine activities, one hour, 53 swimming, 10 hours, 27 on the bike, five hours, 31 running. Where's he from? Matt is from Austin, Texas. Oh. Hey, y'all. Hey, it's from uh, Lance Armstrong Territory. It's got some beautiful photos. Tell you what, Austin, Texas city looks pretty cool. That cool building there. Did an iron distance race. I can't quite see which one it was, but 10 hours, 49 minutes, got second out of 47 in the 30-34 age group, solid. He's got a new bid, kid, because of him and his partner are walking around the forest with a kid. Nice work. It was a big week. Very nice. Yeah. Biggest week ever. He, uh, he did a biggie ride, which is 193.64 kilometres. 100 what? 193.64 kilometres with 2,400 metres of elevation gain. Very nice. There you go. Did a 2.7k swim. Sweet. Yeah, he's an absolute legend. Did a bit of Zwiftning. Mate, he's a consistent trainer. Yeah. Oh, he's, he took a little bit of time off in July. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it was a bit weak. Yeah. Actually, not consistent, but when he's on, he's on. Uh, okay. Hold on. His biggest bike ride is 100, was what he did last week 193.6 kilometers. Wow. That's impressive. Biggest climb. He needs, <laughs> he needs his, uh, he needs his Garmin or whatever bike computer he has got fixed because it says his biggest climb. It's 75 metres high. So you either live Now, is Austin in a, a very happy place? Um, I've never been there. I've got absolutely no idea. I think I've been to Austin. Oh, no, I've been to Houston. I've been to Houston and I've been to Albaline. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget Albaline. Albaline, Texas. Hey, yo. The most beautiful people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get into questions. Oh, wait a second. What was his name? 
Matt, Matt Rolleston. You are our uh, wanger of the week. week. Okay, questions and, and answers. answers. Okay, now I'm going to go first here, and then you can do the next one. Richard McChesney sent me through an email saying, I was clearing up my storage unit and came across an unopened beer can from the 1987 DB I'm Man in Auckland. Now, he's put it on Trade Me. So DB was a beer, um, a classic beer. I don't. Actually, there's some format of it because I was looking at the supermarket when I saw this email and I'm not sure if it's double brown or lion brown, but there's some, some form of it. Now, he's put it on trade me right. and he's saying, I'm not sure if I'll get $10 or $1,000. He wants to give us some proceeds. I'm like, mate, you don't need to give us any money. <laughs> um, but he's put it on trade me. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's gone on. Now, let's have a look. Has he got any, any bits yet? <laughs> I'm going to say no. So Trade Me in New Zealand is our um, auction site, but like, not, not really like Craigslist, more, yeah, more like eBay. Yep. Um, Look at that, Iron Man. It's a bit rusty. Would you drink it, John? He's got a right. bid. Has he got a bid? He's got a bid. Somebody's bid $10 on it. There it's probably go. one of his mates. There you go. Get the bids rolling. 1987. Double brown, Iron Man New Zealand. Mm. That's gold. I'll add that to my watch list. The old, the old, you know, the old different. <laughs> yeah, the old can, the can with the the different. different they, they, they always break off, and then yeah, you have the, to sit there yeah, with a knife, bloody <laughs> jamming it in, and then you cut your fingers. <laughs> there you go. So he's got that. He's also got so Kiwi. Stop. That's going to be applicable for Kiwis. If you want to get yourself a 1987 New Zealand Ironman triathlon souvenir can, you can go to trade me. Uh, we'll have a link on our show notes as well. He's also got a link to his selling Scott Tinley's book, Winning Triathlon. Oh gosh, the original copy. That would be interesting to have a read of that on, in terms of the training concepts and yeah, because uh, that's how 1986. It's yeah. Oh, a lot's changed since then, isn't it? Because mm. Tinley was always known as an innovator too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. All all those big four all had. Books, so maybe Melina. I don't know if Melina had necessarily any coaching no. books. But well, I asked Melina and I said, well, Have you ever read a book? Would you want to write a book? He goes, No, why, why would anyone want to listen to me? You're a legend. <laughs> but Tinley definitely had a few. Uh, Dave Scott certainly had a few. And Mark Allen, whether he wrote them or co authored them. Tinley was the did. worst of the four, wasn't he? Um, yeah, he's still pretty good, though. But yes. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. Was, it was basically Mark. Mm. And like, well, it depends on the racing. Who yeah. was better at short? Because Melina was a legend at short. Mel- wasn't Melina, he? Melina and Mark Allen were better at short course. Yep. Um, Dave Scott was, you know, a bit of all over the place, and Scott Tinley, yeah, he wasn't crap or anything like no, that. No, no, but um, he was definitely a much weaker swimmer than the other three. Oh, the other three okay. were all good swimmers because he won twice, didn't he? Mm. So there you go. If you want to get a, a 1987 Kier band, of, sorry, a can of beer, double brown, Ironman New Zealand souvenir. Go on a trade. We've got six watches. Are you one of the watches? I am now. now oh, okay, we've got six now. So you can check that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Okay, you've also got a... We talked about the movie, the 13 Mile movie. What happened? Uh, so I thought it was the weather on Saturday over here was horrendous and I was supposed to be going out and doing a pretty hilly ride and so I thought I'm going to jump on Zwift and I'm going to do about three hours on Zwift. Ticked off a couple of routes I hadn't done and I thought I'm going to watch that 13 Miles okay. movie. That okay. was now, are you going to give an honest review? Uh, yep, yep, because I paid for it. I paid $5.50. Oh, okay, so, so the first thing that happened was you couldn't get it in New Zealand, Australia, yep. so I posted on their Facebook page saying, well, great, but we can't watch it down here. I went to the website and, and I saw your post. Yeah, yep. and so they said, hey, it's now available in New Zealand, Australia. I presume it's available in the rest of the world. Yep. And so I thought, yeah, yep. what? I'm going to watch. I'm going to pay for five. Yeah, hour forty-five. I got three hours to to watch, and it but fitted in perfectly because the first part of my ride was basically about an hour forty-five. So it fitted fitted in perfectly. Okay, so let's go. Let's go. The the premise of the story is that it's uh, 
it is a tr- it is about triathlon, but it's basically a romance. It's a love story, yep. Love story, drama, and it's about a guy who wants to win. They were calling it Worlds, but it was sort of Hawaii. And uh, and the start of the movie, he does doesn't win. Um, and he's and, and he's obviously a good enough athlete to win. Yeah, he's got second lots of times, and okay. he's a <laughs> some some of the bits in the movie are. Bit close to home for some people. Oh, really? In terms of yeah, he's a As real a type. To, 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 to not, you? not for my home, no. Okay. But for those ones, you know, the super serious yeah. athletes, like he takes it to the next level, and he's a bit of a douche. Yeah. And uh, it's basically just a, a, a romance story, and so it's not my kind of movie in terms of. Yeah. But it was actually way better than I thought. So if you watch the the short, the trailer, again, yeah, I, I kind of get it. Um, but yeah, it's not a triathletes movie. It's a it's a romance movie. But having said that, I was engaged with it. I watched it all. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. Out of ten, um, if you put it in that genre, yep. In terms of the drama, I don't know. I'd probably give it a seven, something like that. Okay, um, okay. so with what the, 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 I thought they the movie itself they did it. It wasn't it wasn't a shit ass crappy yep. acting. You just got cringing, going, yeah, "This okay. is horrendous." Yep. But what they did well was they didn't really show. Um, there's two triathletes in it. They didn't really show them training and racing very much. And yep. if they did, that was just sort of pictures of their face because yep. they just would have looked like idiots. You're going, that guy is yeah. clearly not a very good runner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so a lot is it's based in Canada, and it was they used a bit of race footage from Wildflower and from Challenge Penticton. Oh, so they actually had race footage in there. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, I generally thought it was it was it was something I'd watch on the trainer. Whether I'd sit down and watch it. Do you um, think Belinda would have liked it? Well, I showed her the short and she did the same thing. She just said, that's, yeah, it just looks like a crappy Saturday night sort yeah. of sh- movie TV you might movie. watch. Yep, yep. Um, so that's what it is. It's a TV movie, Saturday night. You don't want to have to think about anything. It's a basic romance story. And did they get the triathlon stuff right? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming, now don't, don't spoil it, but I'm assuming he finds love and he wins the race. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying yeah you know because the last piece of the puzzle was love it's only five bucks fifty and it's something to watch on the trainer or sometimes you need to move like that we've been in Queenstown for the last four days or five days and we had a really nice time Joe and I just relaxing and one night we kind of had a big day walking and eating and stuff and so we got home and we thought we'd watch it Ticket to Paradise with um, Julia Roberts and George right. Clooney and it's you know what you're getting mm. romantic fluff yeah. But, but it was really, yeah, we really enjoyed it. it made you yeah. laugh. It was good fun. You know, it was, it was delivered on that promise, you know, mm. and it's kind of like, you know, sometimes that's all you need. Okay, well, 13 miles. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You guys can check it out. You know, if you're looking for love, maybe get some lessons here as well. <laughs> if you're looking to win the Ironman World Championship, you know, get some love in your life. Okay, John's quiz question. Okay, so what do you reckon? Well, so when I thought of this question last week, how many Brits have been on the podium? We're talking top three. My initial thought was none. And they went, ah, there has been one that I can remember, and that's, that's David a, McNamee. Oh, He's made yeah. it a couple of times. But when I thought, th- I was thinking about it earlier, I can't think of anybody else. No one in the 90s? Who were the rock stars, Brit- British athletes no, in the 90s? Because Simon Lessing and um, Spencer Smith, they never got in the top three. Um, Spencer Smith maybe got about a fifth or something like that. And I don't 80s? think of anybody else. Were there any good 80s British athletes? Short course, not, yeah, not right, Iron Man. Short course. Um, 80s. Yeah, no, they had a couple. Glenn Cook was really good. Uh, I think he might have been eighties, nineties, but yeah, back then you had some guys that were good swimmers. And Tim yeah. Don didn't never got a top three. No. no, no, no. I mean, he that year that he got hit by a car, he was, he was sort of in form. He had the fastest timer for a moment. There, yeah. Didn't he? yeah. Um, no so, one else in the two thousands. 
Apparently nah. hasn't done it. And, and up for a while, um, Tom Lowe, who was Chrissy oh, yeah. Wellington's um, But he wasn't even husband. that good. No, but I think he might have had the best placing in Kona or, or he had a, he had the fastest time or something like that. Because he's got two thirds, isn't he? Yes, I think so. Or did he get second one year as well? Okay, so let's have a look. I'm so just going to have a quick scan through. Um, maybe we'll pause for a second. Cause we've got well, Wikipedia is actually probably better at this. Uh, oh, Torsten's pretty good. Is he? Fastest male, yep. But does he have the top three? Yep, he has the top ten of all time. Uh, okay, you, you have a look. All right. I'll oh, be- phone's ringing. Oh, there we go. No, it wasn't guys. just a buzz, but it was because right. of my device here, John. <laughs> it wasn't ringing because I'm responsible when I do the show. Okay, I'm going to pull up IML Championship Wikipedia. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm on the page. Oh, this okay. is take forever. Paul, I think we need to no, no, I've got it. So okay. we go right. Okay, the 80s. The females, they're just, they're just caning it. They're, yeah, females are different. Uh, 90s. 90s, I see no... David McNamee got 2018. 2018, where's 2018? Third, got David got third McNamee. in 2017. Tim O'Donnell. Buddy Germans, just crushing it. No, no. No one's ever won it. No. no, no Rachel Joyce got third for the, the girls' one, yeah? No, it's very much David McNamee. second one, yeah? And if you were to say the greatest triath- long-distance triathlete from the UK, David McNamee wouldn't be your name, would you? No. Who would you, you say? Certain, well, you'd probably put Joe Skipper. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Mm. Yeah, but Joe hasn't got those heights. Yeah. Julie Dibbins got third one year. And me was a bit out of nowhere, but he kind of did it twice. He was just a great runner and uh, a really solid runner. And just but he didn't do a huge amount outside of Coda, did he? No, he hasn't. He's still going, yeah. but he's um, not, having huge, not having huge success. So, yeah. So, it's, it's but one person. One person. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? Considering how good they are at triathlon, mm. you know, like for a long time, they've been, especially in short course. Yeah. They've got had lots, you know. You think great athletes. You've had both the Brownleys. You've had, as you said, Tim Don. He's been a world champion. Um, you've now got Alex G. Granted, he's not doing iron distance yet. You've had Spencer Smith and um, Simon Lessing, who were fantastic, multiple world champions. Um, and there's definitely going to be others in the mix as well. So for them not to produce a good production line, but it'll it'll come. You know, like the Frenchies. You're seeing them at the moment. There, we talked to Leon Chevalier um, last week. And it'll come. There'll be some more of those short course athletes. That, a bit like David McNamee. He didn't necessarily make it at short course level really, really well. Um, but when he stepped up to iron distance, he had, had a great run. It's there. amazing it hasn't come yet. Yeah. Because, you know, like when Brownlees <laughs> were dominating, mm-hmm. there was a, their second tier was still pretty great, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it was amazing. You know, that was, that was kind of 10 years ago now. Mm. You know, so it is amazing. It's quite phenomenal, really. Because when you look at UK in triathlon, again, look at the females, plenty mm. of UK athletes mm. were kind of dominated, really. Um, you'd almost say the UK athletes are probably the best over the last period of time, other than Daniela. Mm. You know, so it's like, um, yeah, really fast. It's a, it's a, that was a good, John, you did well. Thank you. You did very well. Proud of you. John Swimset. Hey, what did you do? This morning we had a bit of an easier session. Most of the team are sort of getting ready for the Oxman this weekend, so a bit of an easier swim. We did a 300 warm-up, three 100 IMs, and then eight 50s, no, six 50s bands. And then our main set was three times 200 moderately hard. Uh, we were getting 15 seconds rest or so for those. Uh, 300 steady and 20, 50 metres backstroke, breaststroke. We did that twice through. Then we did 200 metres of drills, finished with four 25 sprints and warmed down, and that was 3.3 Ks, I think. Main thing with these sort of sessions, and often I'll talk these workouts we do, 
you've got to make sure you're using your watch or your form goggles or the clock at the pool and making sure you've got some pace variation. So to give you an example, when I was talking there about going moderately hard and steady, so we did three 200s moderately hard and then 300 steady. For me, my pace on the 200s is sitting uh, about 125-ish per 100 and then when I'm going steady, it's about 130. So you need to know your zones and um, figure those out approximately. You know, you're having sort of a five-second um, jump in your different zones as you get to the quicker ones then it's a little bit exponential so that the the, the the time differential is a little bit less a little bit less but you know between easy steady and moderate you know roughly five seconds per 100 so you've got that variation in there nice hmm there you go. That's on some suit for this week. Okay, let's say thank you to our patrons. And Paul Darth Plagius Yoda. We've got Roger the Dodge Dooley. And Big Miss Magic Zikant. That's a great name. Uh, sponsors, we want to say a big thank you to our patrons. If you aren't a patron and you'd like to support the show, go to www.iamtalk.me. Go through the process. Support the boys in what we do. Win some cool prizes. That's what it's all about. You can also get the show emailed to you by going to that same page, top of the front page. Um, if you want some coaching, Coach John, you have some Epic Camps, epiccamp.com, my website, bevanjamesisles.com, and also my book, passionaboutexercise.com. Uh, content, age group of week, cool websites, and other stuff, you can email us at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Jombo, what is your gossip? Uh, race directing yesterday, or helping with the race, primary schools event. Saw a few inter- entertaining things there. It's a lot of long hair amongst the boys. Is it the thing lot, right now? I need. I could have made a lot of money if I sat at a barber stand yesterday. Do you think they wanted a haircut? No, but I would have got the parents to line oh, up. Okay. They'd pay for it and say, so get rid of that hair. Well, what if Thomas wanted yeah. to have long hair? It's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. He can do whatever, but it's, it just looks like, I don't know. Yeah, but that's part of the thing about being young. Yeah. Looking stupid. But one thing I saw when I was coming back, I have to lead the bike league for for some of the races just to make sure that they're going the right way. I came back and I saw one um, young girl taking off on the bike and she started riding. She pulls out a hanky, a handkerchief. I was blowing her nose. So I'm thinking... It's uh, very organised. I've never seen anybody with a hanky in a triathlon before. Just to um, it's not to the side. Yeah. So, but you always see some entertaining stuff with kids. They're just weaving all over the oh, roads. Really? How many kids are racing? Uh, it was about three hundred and fifty or so. Uh, it was a lot smaller than usual. Normally, it's sort of double that, but okay. all the sort of shit the going on, yeah. stuff. Um, but no, it's it's always good fun. And the, the water temperature was about seventeen, eighteen degrees, which is pretty good. Yeah. But some of the kids that come to these races, uh, it's in an irrigation lake. Okay. And some of them were clearly not prepared, or well, they've never swum in the open water before. They, <laughs> apparently, they had like two or three kids got in, just got straight out there. Oh, really? Race oh, game, over. Race over, game over. Uh, and then you, you always see those uh, parents that are just a little bit too competitive. <laughs> and you just want them just to chill out a little bit. So that was yesterday, and this week's uh, about the Oxman, got coming up this weekend, so looking forward to that, and that sort of dominates the uh, dominates the week. Funny story about triathlon, John, I was, we caught up, we were in Queenstown for five days, and on a Sunday night we caught up with the, the family, um, Joe's sister lives in Arrowtown, um, Jane and Joel, and Charlotte, their younger daughter, their older daughter's off studying now, but their younger daughter, she was there, and she did their local kids triathlon, they had their kids, they had their school one, and then they had like the zones, mm-hmm. and they did the school one, no, I think they did, they must have had like three or four schools or whatever and they did that and they did it as a team mm-hmm. so they did swim bike run and Charlotte did the bike and they really didn't want to do it so they just wanted to get it done over and done as quickly as possible mm-hmm. they got second 
Nice. <laughs> so the motivation of just yeah. wanting to get this finished because nice. I don't like it. Yeah. And then they went to zones and they didn't try it all because they realized it was not a good thing. <laughs> so, you know, the reason how to win a race, not just want to finish fast because you don't like it. Get it over and done okay, with. I'm sick of this. I don't want to do it. I'm going to go as fast yeah. as I can. And don't get in second. The amount of kids, especially the younger kids that I saw yesterday that got stitched on the bike. Oh, really? I don't know. Oh, no, it's on, on the run. Okay. You just see them walking along with like just holding their sides and I'm not sure if it was a fitness thing or they've probably eat, potentially eaten before or they've been gulping air but man there was a lot of kids funny, walking along kid, I used to get a lot of stitch and I was a, I was a good little runner as a kid mm. um, and I, I, as an adult I don't think I've ever had stitch mm. so I wonder why I got it as a kid because oh, I did great. train like you know, mm. I did, you know so, so it's interesting uh, what other gosh John what's up what, what's happening um, no that's about that's, that's dominates this week to be honest um we took your advice we did the we did the, the nice little walk boat, boat across yeah yeah we did uh, so you get for going to queenstown you get a boat across is it bayswater was i right on there i think it's bayswater i don't know and then you walk around this it's the outlet track really outlet track it's the queenstown i think it's called the queenstown golf course yep um yeah it's Great. a nice walk beautiful oh it's stunning mm. Queenstown's a really good place to go uh, we hired bikes one day mm-hmm. went from arrowtown it's a beautiful bike just kind of recreational cycling Good food. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I ate up a storm. Okay. Yeah, it was good. And then the race was good. And you know what? You sometimes you just need some time to relax. Mm-hmm. And so that was good. So we relaxed. And now we've got to come home. Another month to another holiday. That's what you want. <laughs> That's what you want. Keep them rolling. <laughs> yeah. Week on, month off. That's what you should have. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Train hard. Train smart. Kia car. car.